Hart. Welcome to America This Week. I'm Matt Taibbi. And I'm Walter Kern. Walter, what's going on? Uh, it's been a long New Year, you know, these three weeks since New Year. Uh, here in Montana, it's been 30 below zero consistently. It's now warmed up a little. Um, that's not uh, a physical feeling of cold. It's an existential cold. <laughs> um, and... Uh, have we is the word existent have we used that word more in the last like four years than in the previous hundred? Well, when I went to college in the early eighties, existentialism was still a thing, you know, mm. Camus, Sartre, etc. Right. And uh it was a pretty heavy word to use, and it basically meant living on in the face of annihilation and death. You know, mm, living mm. in a world without God and only your own actions, which may be meaningless, but you must carry on nevertheless. Right. Fair and now say. it's become just sort of an adjective for very, very much, right. you know. It, <laughs> yeah. So, you Trump, know. Trump is a very threat to democracy. <laughs> yeah. Existential threats, um, existential challenges. You know, everything's existential now. Uh, mm -hmm. Beer probably is existential, you know. Existentially right. refreshing. Um, so, so it's so, existential cold that you're living in? Yeah, so I'm going to just, you know, use the word the way it's being used. But it was existential in the sense that it caused you to fear that you were a tiny organism very vulnerable uh, to you know, the, the, the turns of the weather. And when, when I, and I grew up in a cold climate, but when I went outside and it was both windy and dirty below, I thought, you know, I could commit suicide this way. This is actually, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you just sort of lie down. Yeah. Just lie down and sort of meditate. And probably within five minutes, my mind would be scrambled and I wouldn't be able to feel anything. I'd start to numb up. So, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, suicide by cold front. But uh, I got through that. That was existential. See, uh, suicide's a big existential thing. And uh, then that's I got... actually a big part of learning how to drink in 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 the former Soviet Union. What you ha you have to be conscious of not passing out um, in certain places. How can you be conscious of not becoming unconscious? Because it's, it's, I mean, people do every year there's a raft of, I can't believe I used that term. There, there's, there's a slew of stories about guys who go out ice fishing, get hammered, and then forget that they're, you know, on an ice flow. Right. And, and then freeze to death. Right. Uh, but there's, all, but there's also always stories about sort of men who curl up on benches on the way to the subway station or they they go out to the kiosk to get more vodka and they just never make it home so it's it's sort of like you're training to be a grown man in the form of soviet union is you you, you have to learn you have to know your measure as uh, as graham green would say to you know to be not so completely hammered that you you forget to actually duck inside a doorway uh before you lie down although it doesn't work in the summer that's for sure it looks like appomattox um outside most beer bars at least it did when i was there sorry Big yeah well that's it that's interesting I, I haven't had a drink since i was 30 years old um had to stop 
Really? But yeah, but I always maintained that uh, vigilance that you're talking about. Um, I was, uh, you know, I practiced walking straight lines even when I was sober so that I could do it drunk. Um, <laughs> I, I, I had all kinds of uh, sort of boundaries in on my drinking that caused me never to get a DUI or, you know, get in a bad fight or anything. Um, mm. and, and I did think that was the height of responsibility to be able to be mm -hmm. really, really drunk and yet still live and not be right. in jail, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. That, and that, that's a sure sign that probably you're drinking too much. There were many sure signs. One was that I would go into bars where like local bands were playing and promise that I could get them a, a, a record contract in L.A. Uh, I was a expansive, grandiose drinker who believed. Uh -oh. Yeah, I, I wasn't mean. I was so nice. And then I'd come back to the same bar, and the band would be playing the next night. And they'd said, "Did you call the Eagles manager and and get us that contract?" And I'd oh say, man, what the hell are you talking about? So that's one of those things where you wake up in the morning and it and it's like. Um, uh, Who's that director who makes Inception? Uh, Christopher Nolan. You get those like extreme, like reverse zoom shots right, where, right. where su suddenly everything flashes back to you about all the horrible, stupid shit that you said the night before. Um, but ex yeah. but here was the thing: I didn't, I didn't threaten people. I overpromised, and right. actually, and actually, people will get angrier at you for overpromising than calling them a name. Um, right. Yeah. Right. So. So no no drinking to get me through the existential cold, and uh, you know uh, then my back went out during our live stream on the Iowa caucuses. Really, right, right before I was in severe back pain that whole time. Yeah. So so mine too, but that, sorry, that that's really weird. Okay, uh, really, are you, are you better now? Two thirds, three quarters. I still got a sort of Frankenstein vibe when I walk, you know, uh, mm, mm. like uh, keeping the back stiff. But the latest thinking on back pain and all the uh, psychotherapeutic books about it say it's uh, psychological uh, and that the way to uh, get through throwing your back out is to pretend your back's fine and just keep moving. While you examine your emotional state to see if anything is deeply stressing you. And uh, there's a whole book on this. And I know a lot of people who go on TV all the time for whom back pain is a, a, you know, a, a professional risk and uh, affliction. And they swear by this method. So that's what I've been using. All right. I don't know. I think if a doctor tried that on me, I might punch him, actually. Um, <laughs> but that's, I feel that way about a lot of things lately. So maybe that's just not uh, definitive. Right. Um, so, okay. We, we last uh, spoke during the Iowa caucuses, which was pretty interesting, I have to say. But, but uh, this week is also marked by another. Um, I, I would say far more sordid <laughs> ritual uh, in politics, which is the annual meeting of the World Economic Forum in Davos. We can, we're going to get back to, to Iowa. Yeah. But this, this has gradually become 
one of the most loathsome things that happens on schedule in the world. And it feels like it gets worse and worse every year. Uh, what did you notice so far from the headlines this week? Uh, or, or do we need to explain to people what this is? The Davos World Economic Forum is sort of like the Cannes Film Festival. or uh, For oligarchs. The, yeah, for oligarchs, except they are the films. Um, they're little, they give these frightening TED Talk kind of presentations to each other. They never show the audience, so it's unclear if the, all the CEOs and, and heads of state actually show up for the speeches or if they're you know, back in the ski lodge with their high-priced prostitutes. Um, I was going to say that a singular feature of Davos is that it takes place in this kind of extremely exclusive sort of ski and buggery um, right. resort for the, for the like filthy rich, like you, not, not just, I got a million and a half dollars. You have to, you have to have a hundred million dollars to be like somebody there. Right. Right. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. No. And, and I've come to call it star based Davos because First of all, it has a sort of 80s science fiction feel in its staging. Um, they, they, they are up on this blue stage. They, for some reason, they stand like 10 feet apart. Um, mm -hmm. And it looks like the meeting of some imperial congress in a science fiction film. Um, but it's got this very dated aesthetic. It reminds me of like Epcot or one of those, you know, 70s visions of the future. Uh, right. It, it, it's it's archaic in strange ways. It's what a 1955 science fiction writer would imagine a World Congress in 2008 would look like, but not necessarily 2024. Um, right. Anyway, they give these speeches. I mean, we're still in the explanatory phase. They give these speeches, which are actually meant for uh, dissemination. I always think, why are they giving away on the World Wide Web these talks that people are spending, you know, a hundred grand to go attend in person? Shouldn't it be a little more secret? Right. Well, they, yeah, they, they always say things that are, are horrifying. Intimidating. It's the yeah. World Intimidation Congress is, is the way I see it. Right. Yeah, and and the thing you mentioned about how how far away they were, yeah. um, one of the one of the classic images, maybe we can splice this in later, but but from this uh, event was the European Commission President um, Ursula von der Leyen, who I like to call Ursula von Evil. She's First of all, everybody, everybody, everyone at Davos looks like a late stage Westworld cyborg. You right. know, like, and she's somebody. She she's like a rich person's ice princess fantasy or something like that. She's mm -hmm. this perfect looking Aryan uh, creature. Anyway, she she's on a podium, uh, all the way to one side of this gigantic stage with this huge WEF backlit uh, thing, and then all the way to the other side, slouched in a chair is Klaus von Schwab and it's just this really bizarre visual um right that, that they did and and then she gives a, a speech w which is 
kind of kind of terrifying in conjunction with with uh, Schwab's speech. She gave a speech basically saying that the, the singular threat to humanity over the course of the next two years is going to be misinformation and disinformation. And people like you and me, Matt, really, yeah, exactly. That's what, I, that's what I hear when they say that. Right, right. That's that's what they mean. And you know, it's it's a. It, they're always talking sort of slightly in code in these in these things. Um, so they they will say things like, you know, we have to get together and collaborate to rebuild trust in institutions and undo the damage that misinformation has caused. Right. Um, but what they mean by that, you know, is, is censorship. You know, and and. They don't come they out. Want to they want to rebuild trust by force. Trust, which was traditionally something that uh, we granted voluntarily, will now be uh, coerced or forced by the fact that you won't have any alternative but to trust. They think, which means that we won't trust them at all. But in other words, not only do they speak euphemistically, they speak illogically. Uh, in a kind of paradoxical, mind-melting way. Um, it's like saying, you know, we're going to regain your love and we're going right. to do it by shooting everybody else who you love until you just love <laughs> us. Um, like, do they really think this way? See, before you get into it, I think the whole thing is meant to normalize a kind of the slack-jawed... Uh, uh, passivity of an audience standing before an elite that doesn't need to make sense um there's actually that that's a really interesting point yeah mm -hmm. because because anyway. they, they, they they very carefully call the audience right i mean even if you're legit media you have a tough time getting in there um and you and, and you see what we're used to matt you know if you watch the u.s congress or the parliament or a even a cable news show, you're used to watching debate, um, questioning, sometimes, you know, fake debate as on cable news, but they always are uh, alone and, you know, um, how can I put it, unimpeded in their pronouncements. And, and that's what they want us to get used to, are these, you know, royal proclamations again. Right, right. And yeah, so so we had at Davos, um, Klaus von Schwab, or is it von Schwab or just Klaus Schwab? Now I'm, I'm confusing my Sometimes von Sometimes it might be, it, the last name means from Schwabia, which is a part of Germany. Um, right. And it could be von Schwab. He may, for, you know, uh, aesthetic reasons and not wanting to, um, you know, uh, conjure up the spectacle of uh, Kaisers and so on, not use Vaughn, but... Uh, right, right. Okay, so here's, here's, uh, here's Schwab's speech, and Davos 2024, welcome remarks by Klaus Schwab, founder and executive chairman. Uh, and... He uses these words over and over again. The theme this year is trust, right? So uh, here, here we get into the meat of his address, and I can't do the X, and I won't try, but it's unfortunately, it's a key part of the, 
of the whole effect. To break the cycle, we need a paradigm shift. We must rebuild trust, trust in our future, trust in our capacity to overcome challenges, and most importantly, trust in each other. Trust is not just a feeling. Trust is a commitment to action, to belief, to hope. To achieve this, we must rediscover and embrace the narrative that has driven humanity since its inception, acting as trustees for a better future. Uh, and then Matt, he goes on. Mm -hmm. Has any narrative driven humanity since its inception? Why would there be war if some narrative had been driving us the whole time? What is he talking about? Why is he trying to slip past these gigantic, erroneous statements that don't stand up to one second of reason? I mean, I, I, I mean, I think you make you make a good point, right? Like maybe the maybe the idea is to condition people to just sit there and listen to gibberish and and think it makes sense. Yeah. Um, anyway, sorry. But go on. no, no, it's okay. You, you see, see how he goes on, and and this is this is the sentence that really kind of triggered me. Um, uh, this oh, wait, this is threat one. Hang on, I'm sorry. Um, doo -doo -doo. The narrative isn't about short term gains, short term gains or individual successes. It's about stewardship, about preserving and enhancing our world for current and future generations. It's about understanding that our actions today have far-reaching consequences tomorrow. And um, this whole idea of like stewardship, it's just, it's so weird because nobody elected these people. And, and uh, I don't That's even remember giving permission to our, our presidents to go off and have inaccessible meetings with other world leaders you know what i mean oh, like, jake sullivan was there you know sitting nodding along uh you know getting little uh messages in his ear no doubt like we just bombed the houthis again and he pretends he didn't hear it and you know goes on with the conversation but stewardship stewardship is you know according to my last dictionary something that you award someone you make them your steward. You take your power and you temporarily, under certain conditions, grant it to them. You know, um, my good and faithful steward, as in the Bible. Come back to me. Or, or, you know, when you're leaving your estate, you appoint a steward and then you come back and find out if you still have livestock and, right. you know, whether the forest has been burned down or something. Um, but. but we didn't grant them a damn thing. They just appropriated it. Yeah. Um, so for, for stewardship, really, they mean our arrogant uh, appropriation of authority. Uh, by trust, they mean our coercive threat to eliminate all other sources of- Of information of, about of us. information and all other bonds. Um, but I really do think it's pure gibberish. I mean- it, it's a little, it's like a one level above the corporate doublespeak that you hear, you know, in a human resources meeting or at a company picnic where the- Attainable goals and, you know- Right. Yeah. Right. It, it, but it's, you know, an inverted vocabulary presented on a stage that looks like, you know, Starship Alpha Centauri. Right. Um, right. By, by people who- don't look approachable, okay? Uh, right. You know, Ursula and Klaus 
don't look like people you could go up and speak to. They look no, like they look people, like people who who's you could open their necks and and you know electronically reconfigure them. I'm sorry, I just right, I can't right. get away from that image of them. But that but that but that is part of the intimidation game. Um, uh, also that being far apart from each other suggests I am not approachable. I exist in a force field uh, of uh, self-sufficient grandeur. Um, Anyway, yeah, the whole thing is mostly theater. And remember, since it's international, it's being translated. You know, we, we, we hear it in English, but a lot of it's not occurring in English. So it mm. also gets us used to the thought that it's sort of supranational and above our heads, that these are, you know, world appointees who uh, don't necessarily represent any particular culture hmm yeah yeah i mean the, the general tone especially this time of of schwab speech uh if you if you tweak some words just a little bit and and, and i i'm not one of the, these people who in, watches um you know these documentaries about uh socialist or communist takeovers of the world or marxist or whatever but right. he, he does lift a lot of language from sort of lenin's vanguardism uh ideas right well, like we, the thing i just mentioned he said there's a singular drive which animates mankind that that's very hegelian language um you know that's 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 germanic uh historical inevitability right there you know what is that singular drive i i don't know i don't know um i guess for power capital uh, in i his mean case. yeah yeah no i mean in other words they want to portray themselves as at the tip of some kind of uh historical spear the very vanguard i mean this is progressivism weaponized um but it's tweaked, though, right? It's the we're not the vanguard of the proletariat. We're the vanguard of like progress or something like that. Yes, they're the vanguard of some uh, uh, of some ineffable historical will that is not that of any particular group or so on. But you know, here at home, where we have these constant um, paroxysms of conscience and fear about white supremacy in our politics. Uh, we, never, we, we never identify these people as the true avatars of it, because I've never seen anything whiter or more supremacist. Right. Davos. You have to go back to Hitler's eagle's nest to, to see something scarier than this group. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Ursula um, and Klaus. I mean, how, they take us for fools. Um, you know, I tweeted last week, is it farmers and diesel mechanics in Iowa who we should fear uh, are white supremacists? Or is it these, you know, global Bond villain mastermind TED talk uh, from hell people? And they just look like flat Nazis. And, and, and I'm sorry, and uh, the, like normal, the normalization of Nazi aesthetics is a real trend over the last year. Mm -hmm. And uh, nothing could be more uh forthright third reich and fourth reich maybe this is the fourth than what we're seeing here um you've seen the movie obviously we've talked about this the movie starship troopers oh yeah right 
So one of the brilliant things that uh, it's Paul Verhoeven, right? That that's who the director yeah. is in that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he he kind of cons the audience into slowly accepting Nazi ideas and Nazi aesthetic throughout the movie, and you don't notice the subtle costume changes, the subtle changes in the backdrop, uh, in in the fonts. But they they're moving in the, the audience in that direction yes. the entire time, and you're right. There's been a lot of that in the last year. The, the sort of triumph of the will style, uh, you know, presentation of certain leaders, and um, and we're being, I guess, conditioned to think that that's okay. Uh, it's it's creepy. And the other thing is, uh, like I was introduced to Davos. A long time ago, probably before most Americans were, because I was living in Russia um, at, th at this moment in time when a lot of deals that had to do with uh, the construction of Russia's future were being brokered at Davos. So mm -hmm. there was an infamous meeting, I think it was in 95 or 96, where uh, one of Yeltsin's or a team of Yeltsin's people met with a bunch of the Russian oligarchs and they kind of made this back room deal that was, and there were some Western aid advisors there. Basically the idea was we're going to privatize a bunch of huge oil companies to you guys. And in return, you're going to massively support Yeltsin's reelection campaign and everybody's going to walk away happy because we're going to, we're going to stave off the communists. And this is all done in like in, in some hotel room in Switzerland and the news trickled out to Russians later, and 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 for a very good reason, they they began the Russian people started to have a very negative opinion of this Davos meeting um, long before we did, and I think this idea that there are sort of huge consequential arrangements being made um, that we are not invited to, not allowed to participate in. About about things like censorship. I mean, Von Evil is talking about her Digital Services Act and talking about how you know it needs to be expanded and all these things. I, I, do you do you doubt for a minute that they're talking about you know plans to do more of that at this at this place? Oh, so my thesis about Davos uh, is that. It is meant to normalize the specter or the the spectacle of proclamation style government, and that you know it, it it's sort of like a, a consumer electronics show where they show you um, products that aren't yet on the retail market but are making their way through the supply right. chain. Right. Um, so it's kind of a it's kind of a preview. Of what the new products are going to be, it's a trade mm -hmm. show. It's a trade show for evil ideas, quasi-authoritarian government, mm -hmm. basically. Yeah, and, and and it's meant to kind of get you. It can't get you excited about them in the same way, you know, uh, the Las Vegas electronics show might get you excited about a mini transporter that allows you to go across the street on a beam of pure energy, but they can. Do the next best thing and make you afraid, which is a form of excitement. So 
I also tend to think they overstate threats and they overstate oh, yeah. their they, they overstate their plans in order to get people talking about them, which is a weird way of making them come true. Um, get get people afraid, get people babbling and uh, and, and gossiping, and then bring it in because by then it's kind of old news you've kind of feared it into existence um and and i don't know how they plan to you know restore trust or or, or get rid of all mis and disinformation they never talk about how they're going to do it in the sense that like they still haven't answered who's going to be the authority on that they still haven't answered how is some supercomputer going to go through every statement for factual uh, content and, and give it a score and rank? Um, they're never, they're ne they just, in other words, they leave out all the interesting details and just tell you this is what's coming. Um, and they, they did that about Ukraine this week. I don't know if you saw, you know, she was on stage, I think, with Jake Sullivan or somebody talking about. No, maybe it was another. It was maybe. No, I think another. it was Schwab. She was. She was talking about. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, there will always be attempts to push us off track. For example, with disinformation and misinformation, and nowhere has there been more of that on this issue on on the issue of Ukraine. So let me provide you with some real information. Russia is failing on strategic goals. It is first and foremost a military failure. We haven't forgotten that when Russia invaded Ukraine, many feared that Kiev would fall within a few days. Blah blah blah. Um, and then she just goes on and on and on, but it's all about how Ukraine's winning the war. Um, Ukraine's better future is called Europe, and it was with immense joy that last month we decided to launch the, the negotiations of a session for Ukraine's EU membership. This will be Ukraine's historic achievement, and it will be Europe responding to the call of history. Um, so. Another call of history. Uh, uh meme there uh they really do want to hypnotize everybody into thinking that history is some kind of 